first time we ever met him, I swear to God, it's a true story. First, all sitting in the meeting room waiting for him. He's about a minute late. He's obviously creating that, like, you know, none of us ever seen him before. He just walks in, right, and he walks over to the flip chart, and he just flips over the chart, and he says, that's the team for tomorrow. If you're in it, well done. If you're not, don't bother f***ing coming to see me. Don't think you're good enough. If you do want to come and see me, there's only one f***ing winner. Now f*** off out and train. And just walked out, and we all just went, <laughs> you are listening to House of Football, brought to you by Sports Joe and William Hill. Hello, I'm Eric Lawler. Welcome to House of Football with Sports Joe and William Hill. I'm delighted to say we have friend of the show back in the studio again, all the way from Cork, Mr. Damien Delaney. And joining us via the witchcraft that is live satellite, we have former Irish international and Premier League footballer Matt Holland. Chaps, you're very, very welcome to the show. Great to have you both on. Thank you very much. Cheers, Eric. What we're going to do is we're going to have a quick review of the weekend, the t- big talking points that were the weekend, and we'll just get straight into it. Uh, Monday, uh, yesterday was a brilliant day of football for me. Anyway, I watch football from half 12 <laughs> till 8 o'clock, and the <laughs> missus couldn't say that because it's all podcast uh, research, you know. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, the, the the lower leagues playoffs, the, the Premier League relegation dogfight was all about yesterday. Both you lads would have had uh, experience of uh, playing in playoffs is what, what's it like playing in a playoff? I'll start with you, Matt. What's it like? You played in a in a brilliant playoff final against Barnsley. Um, can you tell us a little about your memories around that time? Yeah, oh, well, I actually have mixed memories of the playoffs, really, because I joined Ipswich in '97. I think they were in the playoffs the year before I joined, uh, and then we had two failed attempts at the playoffs in the semi-finals. We lost to Charlton in my first season, then we lost to Bolton the following year on away goals before we eventually beat Bolton to get into a final at a third attempt in the, in the playoffs. And then, of course, winning at Wembley in the final against Barnsley as well. So um, I guess if you're going to get promoted, I think doing it at Wembley in front of sort of 90-odd thousand is, is quite a nice way to go up, in all honesty. Um, but, but it took a little bit of a while to get to that point. It, we had a few, um, let's say, failed attempts before we eventually got over the line and into the Premier League. Damien? Um, yeah, I mean, everyone always says that the playoffs and the playoff final is the best way to get promoted, but it also could be like a very, very sad day because, yeah. you know, it's a 46 game season, you get through the semi-final, you get to a final and then it's all or nothing on one day and it's very, 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 very nerve wracking, I suppose. But like, you know, it's incredible when you win it, you know, to be, like Matt said, 90,000 Wembley, you, you, like your life changes, yeah. you know, you go from being a championship player to a Premier League player. And like everything changes, you know, financially, um, you know, your profile, everything just changes in an instant. And that's how what they, that that's what that day means and carries. It's um it's an awesome way, but I get nervous now just thinking back. Really? Yeah. Oh man, I would <laughs> never want to go through that again. No, I was the back myself go, how did you get through it? Yeah. I think that's a great that's a great point. I think it's probably the most nervous I've been before an individual game. You know, even to, even playing in the World Cup and stuff, I think that moment where there's so much riding on it for the club, for the supporters, for you as an individual, um, it, it just felt the most immense pressure. And so and so I can totally understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah. Like the, we like I, I play we, we played in the in the cup final in twenty sixteen, right? We lost it. And and obviously losing the cup final is is is, is, is heartbreaking, is, yeah. Heartbreaking. But you still wake up the next morning a Premier League player. Yeah, right. Good point. Whereas, like, if you lose a playoff final, you wake up the following morning, you're staring down the barrel of another championship season, 
Another 46 games. Another 46 games. And it is relentless Mm -hmm. in, in, in the championship. It is the toughest... Physically, mentally, emotionally, it's the toughest league you can play in. It is the, I mean, the, the to all, it is the most expensive, the most lucrative game on planet Earth, really. That championship playoff, really, mm. isn't it? Because like the difference between staying the, the the championship and the Premier League is humongous, both for the yeah. club and the city. Um, so we just uh, we just moved back onto the the Premier League over the weekend. Um, the big talking point for me, obviously, as a uh, Manchester United fan, <laughs> was David De Gea. Um, Lads, I'll throw it out there to you. Is it time for Manchester United to get an upgrade on David De Gea, or where do you stand on that? Um, I, I, I think they, they would like to get an upgrade on him, but Man United have more pressing needs. Um, and Man United, depending on the takeover situation, you know, if you're starting addressing needs like David De Gea, and David De Gea is an issue, but at the minute it's probably a secondary issue. You know, you have to sort out the, the centre-forward role at the moment. You have probably have to sort out the midfield role as well at the moment. Probably want another centre-back now as well when you look at Varane and his profile. So they have more pressing issues. David De Gea can wait. In an ideal world, absolutely, they would move him on. But a new goalkeeper, what does it cost you for an elite goalkeeper? 80, 90 million pounds. Yeah. You know you don't have that to throw out a secondary problem. Mm. Matt? Well, I think he's out of contract in the summer as well. So it might be that he doesn't sign a new deal. We don't know whether he's going to still be at Man United next season or not. I agree with Damien that a striker is probably their transfer priority this summer. But when I watch Eric Ten Hag's teams and ultimately he wants his teams to play out from the back, he wants them to play into Lissandro Martinez when he plays Luke Shaw at centre-half and play through the lines. Now, if that's the case, then David De Gea isn't the answer because I've seen so many games this year where he's unable to do it. He even did it and caught out a couple of times against West Ham. Uh, I was at the Brighton game last week as well and he just bypassed the press from Brighton, went long. That's not what Eric Ten Hag ultimately wants to do. He wants these teams to try and play out from the back and David De Gea isn't the answer. But there are more pressing issues at the club, and, and a striker is is the number one target for him in the summer, rather than a goalkeeper. But like you look, you look, you look at him now, right? And and he's out of contract. He's going to leave on a free if they let him go. I mean, even if he's under contract, they could look at selling him because I'm pretty sure some Spanish clubs or some yeah. European clubs, so you could recoup some money, and that might go against a new goalkeeper. The fact he's out of contract, I think, hurts them because he's going to walk away for free, and then you got to shell out another eighty million. So his wages are going to go to the new guy that comes in. I don't think Man United you know, have that kind of change lying around. Yeah, he free, no, he does free up a substantial part of the wage bill because but that's going to go to the new goalkeeper that new comes goalkeeper. in. Yeah, so it, it won't really. Yeah, three hundred and fifty. It, it's grand. quite an enigma, really, with David De Gea because it, it, you look at it; he's, he's on course for the uh, the Golden Glove as well. He's had the most clean sheets in the division, and yeah, I think he's got the third worst save percentage. Yeah. So you sort of weigh it up. It's, it's sort of a strange one, isn't it? Because ultimately, he is he has made match winning saves, match winning moments this season, but there are too many errors creeping into his game, uh, too many individual mistakes that have cost Man United points and, uh, and as it was against West Ham as well. So it, it's quite enigmatic, isn't he, David De Gea? And, and, but I, I am with Damien as to say that he's Man United have got bigger transfer priorities than they have a goalkeeper. Uh, well, what's it like, uh, both of you, I'm asking this to both of you lads, to play with a keeper who is suffering with a lack of confidence, um, you know, is prone to errors. He's having a bad run of form. Does that affect the team that's playing? Are you? Is that oh, in the back of your head as a defender? Oh, absolutely, yeah? absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you know that. You know, someone gets a shot away. You know, scuffs one through your legs, and your head whips round, and you can see it almost in slow motion. And he's just, you know, he's not getting there, and it's just going to creep in at the far post. You know, 
Whereas the opposite, when you have a goalkeeper that's in good form, you know, you tend to be in a better place. You're thinking, well, if he gets a shot away, you know, he's going to have to do well to beat my goalkeeper. But when you're when everything on target seems to be going in, as a defender, you're like, oh no, here we go. Like anything goes in and then one-on-ones and then you start questioning when a ball goes over the top. You start thinking, is he here? Is he not here? Am I going to turn my head around in and he's going to be five yards away from me? Or is he going to be on his line? So absolutely it plays into your confidence. Yeah. It does. And that would affect you as a defender, I suppose, Damien. Because as you said, like if a, you're, you're thinking that if anyone takes a shot on target, it's going to end up with the back of net. So you're like, I can't let any shot mm. come in. So you have to defend every single yeah. shot, which isn't yeah. always possible, obviously. Like you yeah, know, absolutely. That's and that's that's what confidence <coughs> can drain away very, very, very quickly. Matt, not asking you to name any names. Did you ever, were you ever in a situation <laughs> like that yourself in your career where um, yeah. you were playing with keepers out of form and, and it affected the team as a whole? Definitely, definitely. Um, there's a real trust issue with goalkeepers and the communication um, as well. That's so important. Um, I, I won't name goalkeepers that have been a problem for me, but I'll, t- I'll name one goalkeeper who was who was so dependable. And I always judge goalkeepers on the mistakes that they make or the lack of mistakes that they make and, and how consistent they are. Uh, and Shay Given was that goalkeeper. Um, when you know when I played with Shea, you always felt confident that if the opp- opportunity came for, for the opposition, that he would be there, make a save. You always knew when he was coming off his line. You knew because he was a vocal goalkeeper as well. But you just had 100% faith and trust in him that if there was a problem, if you'd made a mistake, he would be there to save you as well. So rather than naming someone who, who was a problem, I'll, I'll name someone who the other side of it didn't make very very few mistakes uh, through his career Shea given and he and I had a hundred percent trust in him. It's a, they, they, they're a strange bunch of goalkeepers, aren't they, Matt? I mean, <laughs> you think of all the goalkeepers you come, that you've come played with, and they're definitely a, a, they're a unique breed. They're, absolutely, yeah. You very rarely meet a normal it's, goalkeeper. <laughs> it's a unique position, though, as well, isn't it? It's like, because it, you know you make a mistake, and ultimately you're going to get punished, and you, it gets highlighted. So you have to be a really strong character, I think, to be a goalkeeper yeah, as big well. Big personalities, because, yeah. You know, you make a mistake on pitch, sometimes you can get away with it. It makes a mistake as a goalkeeper, usually you get punished massively and, it, and, and that's a goal in, in your net. So, um, But all, I think goalkeepers generally are really strong characters. They are strong characters, but as you say, maybe as Damien alluded to, they're slightly unhinged. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> definitely. So you look at some of them and go, what are you doing <laughs> who's, the craziest, who's the craziest goalkeeper you've ever played or played against? Um, Can oh, you think? They're all, they all got their own little weird idiosyncrasies. <laughs> yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? They're just like strange. They're sitting their own because they train on their own as yeah, well. You know, right, yeah. you come in in the morning, they disappear for an hour while you're doing bits and pieces, and then they kind of come over at the very end. And and I think that mentality is like it's almost an individual sport being a goalkeeper. Yeah. You're you're not part of the well, you are part of the team, but like you spend so much time away, you know. And, and then they have their, they have their goalkeeper and coach who defends them to the hilt and any moaning, you know that you know. So like it, it, it is almost like a two different teams within a team. If yeah, you know what I mean. yeah, yeah. It's a it's a good point. Um, speaking of uh, someone else who had a, a difficult weekend, um, and he has been a shining light throughout the Premier League this season, but um, Eddie Howe. Eddie Howe's had done an incredible job at Newcastle this season. He um, they they played Arsenal on Sunday, and Arsenal like I have to hold my hands up as well. That was one of Arsenal's most impressive performances mm. of the season, given the circumstances around it. But Eddie Howe came out in, in the in the press conference afterwards and bemoaned Arsenal's time wasting tactics when the stats are there to prove that Newcastle are the biggest exponents of time wasting in the Premier League. Was, was there a level of hypocrisy there, Damien? I just think it's just, a, you know, when you lose a big game like that, you know. You're emotional. Um, you're emotional. And you, you probably woke up the next morning and read and looked at what he said and we thought, well, maybe I shouldn't have said all that because it's bringing unnecessary attention on Newcastle. No, he should have just taken the defeat 
um, in the manner that it was. He was beaten by the better team and Arsenal have proved over the season that they have been the better team. Um, but obviously nobody likes losing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Matt? Often, often, managers, often managers say things, don't they, to try and deflect away from the result, away from the performance. Um, seen it plenty of times in the past and maybe Eddie was trying to do that as well, but it, it is incredibly hip- hypocritical. I mean, I, I'm an Eddie fan. I, I like Eddie a lot. And, and actually he made his debut in the same team as me at Bournemouth, believe it or not, many, many years ago. Um, but just look back to the early in the season, I think Newcastle were heavily criticised for doing exactly the same thing at the Emirates when they drew nil-nil. Um, I just thought Arsenal managed the game brilliantly. They slowed it down. They had breaks in play. They did what they needed to do to, to win the game. I thought it was a thoroughly professional performance from them. Um, so, yeah, I think I think Eddie sort of got it wrong, but maybe he was just trying to deflect away from the result a little bit. Yeah, he's protecting his team, I suppose. Um, you just mentioned there you made, you, 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 you made your debut with Eddie Howe at Bournemouth. Um, was, did, you, did you think then, even back then, Matt, he's shown signs that he'd become a, a manager? Was he a real thinker of the game back then even? I had absolutely no idea that he'd be a manager because he was so quiet. Honestly, okay. he came into the team. He was a, he was a few years younger than me. Um, he was a thinker and he was an intelligent intelligent lad, but really, really quiet. So I had no inkling that he'd become a manager or that that, that was in his thinking to become a manager. Um, but he was, he, he, as I say, he was an intelligent boy. So he's he, you know never never had any doubt that he'd be maybe a coach or something like that. But in terms of management, I never expected him to do what he has done. And um, would you would. You- would, uh, the time wasting issue, uh, Damien, is that spoken of in, in a dressing room before a match? Is it like, you know, lads, if we're ahead, slow down, walk take walk to the throw-ins, walk to the set pieces. Is that, is that or is I, it I, just... I don't think that's something you need to remind professional players of. Right. That's it's kind a... of just a given yeah. that, like, you know, okay. if you make it to a certain level that you know how to see out a game. It's footballing IQ. Absolutely. Everyone knows it, you know. And I mean, there might be a young kid who might be a bit wet behind the ears and all of a sudden goes over throw and you see him sprinting for it. You might go, hey, kid, <laughs> you know, you've got to learn. But, like, you know, walk, take your time, tie your shoot, you know, just wander, pretend you're going to another ball boy to get the ball and he doesn't have it. And just really just trying to take the, rather than time waste just more to take the, the edge off the game you know because especially if you're away from home the away fans have their their voices are up the, the, they're in the ascendancy you're hanging on you're, you're defending for your life you just want to just slow that down take it off the, the boil so to speak I was going to say I, I had Alan Pardew as manager and he was constantly reminding the team um, to, 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 to sort of be professional away from home. Take your time, walk to set pieces, walk to throw-ins, um, just take the sting out of the atmosphere, uh, particularly when we're away at a hostile environment. He would always remind the players of that. He used to have a kangaroo court on a Friday. And if, if say, for instance, we you know someone didn't bring someone down, it ended up leading to a goal, we'd have to have a vote and decide if they should be fined or not. Um, <laughs> if they if they weren't, you know, that sort of, that sort of stuff. He, um, or if someone, you know, we, we, it was nil-nil in a game. You've run to take a throw and you've taken a quick one when you shouldn't have done. And, you know, you, you'd, you'd get the players to d- decide whether they should be fined or not for that sort of thing. So he was constantly reminding the players that they had to be really ultra-professional away from home and try and take this thing out of an atmosphere when it was really loud. You, you played on the party as well, didn't you, Damien? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. None of that carry on with us, though. No. We didn't have any kangaroo courts. No, <laughs> we'd not like, we'd not Why was that? We wouldn't <laughs> let him have it. <laughs> <laughs> no, really. I think we were a good professional bunch. Like yeah. you know, I think uh, he'd come in. But but you know what? Just going back to the time wasting thing. Like in the World Cup, remember we saw this 10, 12, 14 minutes. It's yeah. gone out the window now again, right? Um, and I do think that there is an element of teams feel like they'll be rewarded. You know, I remember, I remember the Champions League final. Wasn't it Militao went down, got back up, went off, came back on? With, I mean, he must have took four minutes off the clock, and four <laughs> minutes went up, and that that was just on him alone. Yeah. Like, you know, there's at least eight minutes of injury time. But I think once teams know that, like, if you can take a certain amount of time off the clock, 
and the opposition are going to get it back on the back end in injury time, then you're going to do it. Whereas I think in the World Cup, people realise, if I start cutting corners here and so down, there's only 14 minutes of injury time go up and nobody wants that. So it, it did help to speed the game up. So I don't know what happened with that, whether it was just putting the bin or, or or what the story was. What's your opinion on that, Matt? Do you think there is an issue with time wasting in modern day football? And as Damien alluded to there at the World Cup, it seemed to have been addressed, but it's been, it's been dismissed again. Would you like to see World Cup type team ca- uh, timekeeping being brought into the modern day? Yeah, I think I probably would, to be honest, as a spectator now. Um, ultimately, you want the ball in play as, as much as possible and you, you want to watch as much football as possible. I think it's um, I think when, we, when you're talking about it, I think Newcastle actually the lowest, aren't they, in terms of the ball in play in a game? It's 52% of the game yeah. um, that the ball's in play in Newcastle matches. Well, you want that number to be much higher than that. Just over half of the time that, that you, you're actually watching football. So definitely there's something that needs to be done about it. It's a difficult one and how you manage it, whether you have a, a clock that you stop and whenever ball goes out and all that sort of stuff. I think that's really difficult to try and manage that. Um, but I, I actually quite liked it. I was at the World Cup and, and thought it worked really well because, as you say, yeah. you weren't seeing teams delaying yeah. or, or taking yeah. the time over stuff because they weren't allowed to because all of a sudden when they saw sort of 10, 12 minutes go up at the end anyway, if they'd done it, then then the consequences were there. So I, I thought the World Cup, it worked really well. It's a strange one, already because the World Cup usually is the 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 where they start off these new rule changes or new, you know, uh, new refereeing uh, types, and and we would have we would have thought that from that World Cup that 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 would be universal across the world of football, but obviously it isn't. And I wonder why. Um, I wonder have uh, have commercial companies had had an opinion saying, listen, we need to get to an ad break quicker, and um, we can't be having 10, 11 minutes yeah, of injury maybe, time. Maybe it could be FIFA probably just haven't implemented it, or maybe they've looked at it and they said it didn't really work or it was unnecessary or whatever. I don't know, but. It, you know, there was this thing a few years ago. I remember reading an article on Van Basten came up with this two thirty minutes and a and a stop every time the ball goes out of play. Every time the whistle blows, it stops. Okay. So, like, so, because the game, the, the the ball is only in play in the Premier League an average of something like fifty seven, fifty eight minutes. Right. And the reason I noticed is because when I was at Crystal Palace under Tony Pulis, we held a record for the lowest amount of time the ball was in play. <laughs> something like forty seven minutes right, or something right. like that. I don't know if I still we still hold that record, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I think it's it's. Between 56, 57 minutes, something like that is the average. And they were saying like two 30-minute halves where it's just stops, football. Where you're getting exactly one hour of football, right? As right. opposed to giving teams like us the chance to have 47 minutes of football. Right, right, right. But I think that was shelved as well at one point. Yeah, but that seems like a good idea, doesn't it? Thinking outside ah, the box a little geez, bit. But that's like, that was a, that's an extreme change yeah, to, yeah. to football. Like. I suppose, as you said, if it's two halves, two halves of half an hour total football, you still could be there for over an hour. But you're stopping the clock every time the football. Oh, is you can be there for two hours. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know what I mean, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, um, gamesmanship and big characters, uh, lads, uh, the the biggest managerial appointment over the last couple of weeks has been Big Sam returned to the fold at uh, Leeds. Uh, obviously, he had a baptism of fire away to City. Wasn't expected to get anything out of the game. Didn't get the result, but they didn't disgrace themselves either. Uh, lost two one. Um, your opinions on Big Sam coming back into the fold and, 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 and his ability to get Leeds out of the mire that they're in? Oh, listen, Big Sam's got um, got every chance of doing it. I think yesterday was a seismic day. I think that, like, up until yesterday, even even losing at City, he would have gone in that changing room and he'd have been highlighting the positives, you know? Listen to me, everything I told you, look what it nearly got us. We could have won that and all of a sudden it helped him with the players to buy in. Then there's a hammer blow yesterday. 
I mean, you know, all three of them winning. Yeah. And now all of a sudden they're right back in it and now he's right up against it. He could just be caught for time. You know, he could have just run out of time, big Sam. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure he will get a couple of results. But now they're playing catch up, you know, whereas before, yesterday, it seemed to be in their own hands. Um, you know, that if they won their games, they'd be fine. Um, but he will galvanise them and he will give them the best chance possible. It's just whether he was been given enough time or not. Uh, Matt, what's your, what's your opinions of Big Sam on, on like the, the, the notion of bringing an old school experienced manager into the, into the fold of a modern day football club? I think, to be honest, it just highlights the need for any side to try and stay in the Premier League for, for, for the financial um, rewards that it brings. You, you can understand why changes are made late on in the season just to try and, as Damien said there, try and galvanise a group who are who are clearly low on confidence at, at Leeds. Um, he, he did come close at the weekend. Um, you know, it, City should have been out of sight, really. Uh, but they held on in there, got that goal late, and then all of a sudden there's a bit of pressure on, on City. But they've got some difficult games. I think Newcastle up next, is it, for, yep. for Sam? You wouldn't put it past him, though, to, to get a result. We've seen what Neil Warnock's done in the championship with Huddersfield and where they were when he took over. Um, he sort of called himself a, a three or four month manager now. He said he's waiting until, isn't he, February next month, uh, next year, sorry, to get his, his next job. Maybe maybe Sam will be happy with that as well. He's got his two million <laughs> payoff or whatever he does if he if he keeps them up and then do it again sort of next uh, March or April or whatever, available for, for any struggling clubs yeah yeah, yeah. His, his exactly his, just pay me three million to keep a team yeah. up I'll, I'll his, his, his interview was brilliant when he, when he got the job you yeah. know when, yeah. when that, like, I mean but but a lot of people would look at that and go that's Sam blowing his own trumpet it's not what all he's doing there right is he knows he's got a short window so when Sam comes into a, a football club he wants to get to know the players, the players need to get to know him. He wants to feel everybody out, find out what the best way of playing is and who can do what for him to help him achieve what he wants to achieve. But he hasn't got that luxury, you know, with the short window, like, you know, four weeks or whatever it is. So he needs everyone to buy in at the click of a finger. Mm-hmm. And his interview, you look at him, he was eyeballing that reporter. <laughs> but I tell you what, he was speaking to two groups of people. One, I think, was the players at home, right? As in, he was saying to them, I'm the man. I can't have anyone, you know, second-guessing me or giving it time, will I buy into him, what's he like, I need them instantaneously into me, and that's what he was saying, I'm the man, you listen to me. I think secondly as well, he realises that they won't do it unless they have the supporters on board, yeah. and I think he was talking to the supporters as well, because I think Leeds as a football club probably has this notion that like, you know, they're historic, you know, Revy and all the, yeah. the big names, and we're not a firefighting club, we don't turn to people like Sam Allardyce, we're above that almost, and I think he was talking to the fans, I'm the fuck, I'm the man, you got to believe in me as well. And he just wants to get those two groups of people on board and just really, almost like a, a religious thing, just you believe in me because I'm me, right? Mm-hmm. And he had to do it that quickly. So everyone laughed at his interview. But I, Sam came in, did the same firefighting job with us. I was going to ask Palace. him about that, David. So I've had him, I know him. I, What's I he like? A big character. Yeah. But that's what he's like. It's my way or the highway. But he, at, at Palace, he had time to figure out what was what and get everyone to buy into him. At Leeds, he doesn't. So yeah. I think he was just finding the best way for everyone to bow down and worship him and listen to him because Sam won't be able to do what he wants to do unless everybody buys in. Right. Fans, players, staff, everybody. And the best way to do that was the interview he gave and everyone just went, oh, thanks. <laughs> it was a bit like the Mourinho special one right. type interview. You yeah. know what I mean? Where yeah. everyone just like, oh, geez, maybe he is special. Yeah. Um, so like Sam is not, like I sat with him and, and, and spoke with him. Would you go for the point with him, Damien? Absolutely. Yeah. But he's a big character. But he's not, he doesn't blow his own trumpet. He doesn't, you know, doesn't hype himself up like yeah. people think he does. 
everything he does is calculated. He's mm-hmm. such a smart man. And he would never say something like that as in I'm the man, I'm here to keep lades up and a cigar out and I don't care if we, you know what I mean? Yeah. He just thought, he thought that's the best way for everyone to look at him and go, I'm going to follow you. I, like, I suppose the, the, the media like to paint this caricature of Sam Allardyce that he is this um, old school type manager. But when you think about it, he was he was pretty much a pioneer in football. Like, wasn't he one of the first um, managers to come into the football with data analysis, with nutrition, with with uh, you know going up into the stand and watching matches? Uh, you would have played against uh, Sam Allardyce teams in the past, Matt. What's what's your opinion on on, on Big Sam? And has yeah, he been given a raw I, I, deal by the press in general? I think he probably has. When you look at his record and what he's achieved in the past, I think he probably has been given a raw deal. Um, And maybe some of his methods and and methodology is a little bit old school at times. But just look at his coaching staff that he's brought in as well. Obviously, Robbie's Robbie's gone in there. Carl Robinson, both young coaches. I mean, Carl's someone I've got to know quite quite a bit as well. Um, And and he's a a deep thinker about the game as well. And and so he's he's trust. He puts a lot of trust, I think, in his coaching staff as well. It's you know, I've I've played under managers who are managers rather than coaches. I mean, I don't know what Sam's like. Damien will be able to tell you more. He might be. he, he, He looks to me as though he's the manager. And he has people that do the coaching for him. Obviously, he'll pick the team and he'll, he'll set out the tactics, but his coaches, coaching staff are the ones that then execute that. Um, but he looks as though he's the man, he's the gaffer, he's in charge, and he, and he lets people and delegates to people around him to, to try and help in certain aspects as well. So, um, look, he might just get it. You know, He might just do it, Sam. It wouldn't surprise me if he kept leads up. And like, did you have any preconceptions about Sam before he came into, into, into Palace? Or were you just... And then what, what was it that won you over, Damien? Um, like you, you bought in kind of thing his first meeting with was us was it yeah oh fuck it yeah like um, like his first meeting first time we ever met him I swear to God it's a true story first all sitting in the meeting room waiting for him he's about a minute late he's obviously creating that like you know none of us ever seen him before he just walks in right and he walks over to the flip chart and he just flips over the chart and he says that's the team for tomorrow if you're in it well done if you're not don't bother fucking coming to see me don't think you're good enough if you do want to come and see me, there's only one fucking winner. Now fuck off out and train. And just walked out and we all just went, fuck it out. <laughs> everyone just went, what? This fella means business. Everyone just went, oh, and straight, that was it. That, that instant moment is like establishing dominance. Right. I'm the man. And by the way, just to echo what Matt said there, he's nail on the head. Staff, Sam won't micromanage. He gets staff. That like, he trusts. Huge staff. Mm-hmm. And he, they obviously know what he wants. And it's their job to deliver it. He sits on high, looking down on everything. You now, if there's a disciplinary issue or there's a, 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 a media issue or something, he steps in. But when you see Sam stepping in, step back because yeah. he's coming hard, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so that's what he is. He's just a cat. Nobody messes about with him. Yeah. You know, whatever Sam says, Sam does. And then you respect the staff as well because, you know, if you moan at his staff and stuff like that, they won't say anything. But Sam will come in and he won't even, he won't even say, just look at you. Yeah. I heard what you did today and that's not, you know, and then you go, oh, sorry. So, you know what I mean? So he commands the whole football club. He really does. Um, but lads, but moving on to, uh, um, we mentioned, we touched out the playoffs there. Both of you, both of you played for Ipswich in your, in your careers. Um, do both of you have fond memories of your time at Portman Road and uh, and I is absolutely thrilled that they're they're back in the championship again, uh, scoring free, free-flowing football under Kieran McKenna, an Irish coach who they got from uh, Man United. Um, your opinion on Ipswich and your time there? I loved Ipswich. Yeah. Fabulous football club. Um, it was just, I was there in a tumultuous time where we just couldn't seem to, to, to get it going. Um, but incredible place to live. Um, incredible fans, 
brilliant stadium, bigger football club than a lot of people will actually give us, yeah. would recognise, you know. Um, Matt obviously had a great time there and a much fonder memory or memories of me, but I just remember the playing surface at Portman Road was always impeccable. The training ground is beautiful, lovely, lovely people. It's just a nice place to be. Um, and I was just sad that it didn't pan out the way that we all wanted to. Mm-hmm. Matt? Honestly, it's, it, it's taken off this year, the last 18 months, two years, in a way that I couldn't have imagined. Uh, they've already sold 21,000 season tickets for, for next season. Wow. Um, which I think is the most they've, most they've ever sold. They're getting bigger crowds than when we were in Europe, when we were in the Premier League. <laughs> this is in League One. I went to a game, I think it was Port Vale home on a Tuesday, and, and there's 28,000 there. And you're thinking, where are, they, where are these people coming from? But they're coming because there's new ownership, there's new investment, They've spent money on the playing staff. They've spent spent money on the infrastructure around the place. Um, and they're, they're improving all aspects of the football club. And they've where they've invested, I think, the best is in the manager, in Kieran McKenna. He is absolutely different class. I'm actually I, 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 an ambassador for the club now, so you can you can understand why I'm speaking so passionately. I was wondering why you were saying that. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I'm certainly not trying to sell him. Because I tell you what, he, ah, you've he, lost all he, the partiality, man. We can't take anything you say I seriously, now. I, I, I know, but I, honestly, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to sell him because he is, he is that good, seriously. Yeah. He is different class as, as a coach. I've been on the training ground, watched him coach, what, Watch the way he works. The players absolutely love him. You talk about man management. There's not a player there that doesn't like the way he goes about his business. Um, and he does it, what all good coaches do, man. He makes players better. Yeah, he's improved. He's improved everybody mm-hmm. at, at the football club, and everybody has gone up a level since he's since he's been there. So, as I say, it, long may it continue. I hope they do well in the championship next season and they have another go at getting promoted again. And it wouldn't surprise me because I think there'll be investment again. I think there'll be another three or four coming in the summer. Um, but they're a good team to watch and they're a team to, to watch out for in the championship next season because a lot of the players that they've got anyway are championship players who have dropped to League One to, to, to try and sort of bounce back. That's exactly what they've done. And now they've got the opportunity to go again next year. And it wouldn't surprise me. You know, we've seen teams do it in the past. Norwich have done it. I think Southampton have done it. Back-to-back promotions from League One to, to the Premier League. I'm not, I'm not sort of saying they're going to do it next year, but they'll have an opportunity to do it. And there'll, there'll be a team that will be a good side to watch next season. And obviously, if Kieran McKenna is as good as you say he is, and the facts prove that he is, um, obviously the worry for Ipswich fans and ambassadors like yourself, Matt, will be that the bigger clubs will come in <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and, and look for his services. Exactly that. That is that is our our biggest concern, yeah. to be honest. Because because um, you know people will be monitoring closely. And if it, look, a Premier League job comes up, he's an ambitious man. He wants to he wants to be managing at the highest level, and so it'd be very hard for him to turn that down. But he, he, this is his first job. This is his his first opportunity, um, and I think he he um, appreciates that being given the chance to, to manage. I mean, he's still very young, isn't he? Was he thirty six? Yeah, maybe? yeah, he's only yeah. something like that. So he's he, you know, he's got such a career ahead of him. Um, but I'm sure that people will be monitoring what he's been doing. It, at the it's club. such a good it's such a good club, right? That as long as he feels the club want to get in the Premier League and the opportunity is there and they're backing him and they're giving him all the tools that he needs, they show him the ambition. Why would you want to leave? Right. It's such a like it's a fabulous. Fabulous football club. And if it got back in the Premier League, it wouldn't be able to place at all. There'd be nothing to do. It is a Premier League club down the divisions. It's ready to go. So he'll only ever want to go, I think, if he feels that his ambition is being limited. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, 
Mr. Ambassador here will tell us about. <laughs> <laughs> Has there been any inquiries, yeah. man? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a shame I'm not there. I could have brought the Ferrero Rocher, couldn't I? It was the ambas- ambassador. Nice work, man. Um, nice work. I, don't, I, actually, I, I actually don't. I actually don't like the title, to be honest. I mean, but I, look, I'm, I'm sort of just helping out around the club. Um, but no, he's he, the the ambition is there. The the ownership group of of as I say yeah. really backed what what the project is and they they're spending money all around the place you know they they made the stadium look better they they've ripped the pitch up already uh, since the since the last home game of the season that's already underway for a new playing service next year they've already done the pitches at the training ground as well because they they were some of the stipulations that Kieran wanted he wanted the pitch to be absolutely pristine you talked about the pitch at Portman Road it's always good well he wants it even better I think they're doing the undersoil heating they're, they're, they're spending a fortune and and so the ambition is there to, to try and get back to the Premier League so they are backing him which is great to hear um, Matt could you just going back to your your your, um, your time at Ipswich um, and uh, the, the, the team that we went through the playoffs beat Barnsley in the final got into the Premiership and the very following season finished fifth like three points off Champions League places like what was it like playing in that Ipswich team and who were the who were the big big players for you in that season? Well, to be honest, as I say, this is we were a team that would was was built over a number of seasons. It wasn't just a, a team that was put together and we got promoted. I mean, we'd been in the playoffs. I'd been in it a couple of times before we eventually got promoted. I think we were in the playoffs the year before I joined as well. So four years running, it was a team that was knocking on the door of the Premier League anyway. We were close. Um, but it was a team that had been together for quite some time and, and sort of lose one or two in the summer, bring one or two in. Uh, there weren't too many changes, but it was just like little tweaks. Marcus Stewart made a big difference when he came yeah. in in the January. Uh, we got promoted. He scored at Wembley as well. He, he was a he was a big player for us up top. And obviously, you'll you probably know what's, what's happened to Marcus. He's been diagnosed with MND. And... Um, so he, he, you know, he's he's um, which is an awful thing, and uh, we've got a big charity thing for him next week as well, big charity game, and uh, so wish wish Marcus all the very best in in um, in his, his fight against that that, that horrible disease. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a team that had been built um, over a number of seasons, and we had we had good players. Yeah, you know, yeah. We, we so were you, you know, confident, Matt, going we were, into that new Premier League season that well, you know yeah, you, you know do you know the way the newly promoted teams are always the ones that are in, uh, said to be they'll be going down, they'll be relegation favourite. Were you quietly confident that you had a team that were going to do well that season? You're never sure. You, you, you don't quite know what what level you're at. But we, you know, we were a team that that um, we were a team. I think that's what I would say. We weren't individuals. There was no real superstars in in the in the in the group. We lost the first game of the season at Spurs, and we we um, we didn't play badly. But we made a couple of mistakes, got punished for it, and we thought, "Wow, this is what the Premier League is all about." You, you sort of open your eyes to it and realise that that little step up in quality, any any mistake you make is punished. The first home game we played Man United and we drew one all, and I think that was the moment we believed that we could we could compete because I think what's well, done the treble ninety nine, um, and we're talking a year later here, and we drew with the the, the team that had done a treble uh, one all at Portman Road. That was the moment I think that we all sort of believed that we could manage at this level yeah um we had some great great wins along the way we got applauded off the pitch at everton i think we've beaten three uh we won at anfield um drew with arsenal drew with man united we had some you know there's some great results and some great moments um but we were we were a team and that was the that was the big thing we had a group of players that that sort of we were as one you know you'd, you'd trust them all in the trenches with you and and you know you, now you, you build that bond over a number of years and um and if we haven't seen each other for 10 15 20 years we'd still come together and, and be a good group Jim Jilton was a big part of that as well yeah. 
Northern Irishman, a big character. He was a, he was a brilliant, brilliant bloke to have around. Tony Mowbray, who's doing brilliantly at Sunderland, was there. Um, Mark a- Venus, John McGreal. We just had, we just had really good, solid, solid pros. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you, you mentioned uh, Man United there, Matt. Um, you just drew one all in your second game of the season. That was obviously a really brilliant Manchester United team. I read somewhere about... Um, uh, I don't know whether it's a, you could tell us whether it's a funny story, but uh, another jersey swapping uh, story, but this time with uh, a certain Rude Van Nisselrooy. Can you tell us a little bit yeah, about that? I, I, yeah, I did. So, so I play, playing for Ireland, I'd got, I think I'd got a, a Van Nistelrooy shirt when we we played Holland, um, so which was, which was great. My kids sort of loved it. I didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't a big shirt swapper to be honest. I didn't I didn't you know, get too many jerseys, but um, got got a Van Nistelrooy shirt playing. Went playing for Ireland against Holland, and then uh, I don't know, about probably about six months later or something. Anyway, I get, we, we're coming off at Old Trafford. We've probably been beat. We usually got beat at Old Trafford, and and I get a tap on the shoulder, and it and it's Van Nistelrooy, and he says, "Oh, swap swap shirts." I'm thinking, "Heck, Van Nistelrooy <laughs> wants to swap shirts with me." Wow, Van Nistelrooy. He said, "You know, you, you got my shirt you, in the game." They said, "And your name, Holland." I can, obviously I come from Holland, so just want to. <laughs> he didn't want it because it was my shirt. Because it said Holland on the jersey. The, the name Holland on the back on the back of the jersey. You could have yeah, exactly. just got one made up. So I, <laughs> I, honestly, I was I was I was made up. Van Nistelrooy tapped me on the shoulder for a for a shirt. He only wanted was the name on the back. <laughs> Matt, you you don't have to tell people that. You tell people that Real Van Nistelrooy wanted yeah. your jersey because he t- he regarded he was a serious <laughs> footballer. That's what you exactly. tell everyone. You're, t- you're so exactly. honest. I can modest. milk that story. Damien, <laughs> um, do any swap jersey swapping stories yourself? Did you get any big jerseys? I had a few, yeah, but yeah. not. Um, I want a big. I want a big one for it to like. You know, um, you just send a kit man over and see if if, if you get one like. Oh, okay, so you wouldn't. You wouldn't actually you do that. I wouldn't do that. No, just. But that's kind of the thing now. I remember. Um, I remember Titus. I remember Titus Bramble. So we played. We played. You, you know, you talk about Ipswich. We qualified for the um, for Europe, and we we played into Milan. We beat them one 0 at home, and then we beat. Uh, we played them away from home, uh, and we got absolutely stuffed. I think four one. Uh, Christian Vieri scored a hat trick after about 50, 55 minutes, and he just looked at the bench and went, Sub, I'm done. <laughs> Walks. And, and Ronaldo, Brazilian Ronaldo, came on for him. Oh, wow. And we had Titus Bramble at the back, and literally for the last half an hour of the game, Titus Bramble never left him alone. So that when the final whistle went, he could get Ronaldo's shirt. He was right next to him as soon as the final whistle went, so he could get his shirt. But I was, I was going spare. I was going mental like in 10, 15 minutes to go, go away from him. Just get like get back in your position. So he literally followed him everywhere yeah. just so that when the whistle went, he got his shirt. Oh, that's brilliant. That's yeah. brilliant. Um, so, Damien, you, you said you, you would you would allow the kit man to do that for you. Was it just uh, because yeah. of the fear of rejection or know, just the embarrassment? It wasn't. No? I just wouldn't. No? I didn't like to bother someone, you know. Like, um, I, I wouldn't really, to be honest. Yeah, the only... Um, so I just said to the kit man after, I said, go in and see if you get me some shirts. So the kit man would usually come in then with like four or five shirts. Oh, okay, right. You know so that was just like, a done thing kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, oh, right. you know, okay. and he'd come in, he'd say, look, I have four, because he'd just go to their kit man yeah. and say, just give me a bunch of shirts and they'd just sweep them up off the floor and then there you go. <laughs> and then you kind of have a quick look. But you get charged for shirts. That's what I was going to ask you. Know? Yeah, you do, yeah. So the, the, the actual wage. price of the jersey, yeah, you charge on wages, your wages? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, um, so these days it'd be what, 70 or 80 euros? It was about 50 pounds. So like when you're wages, you get your wage slip, you'd have like jerseys out. So that's why said the kit man I'm spending 50 euro after a game <laughs> oh chance <laughs> uh, Matt you touched upon it there uh, that amazing Ipswich uh, the fact that he's beat into Milan at Portman Road 1-0 went to the San Siro got beaten 4-1 Christian Vieri hat-trick 
um, Ronaldo coming on for Vieri. But playing in the San Siro on a European night, uh, Matt, what was that experience like? And did you go into the game with confidence having beaten them one nil at Portman Road? I think we, we probably went in too overconfident after beating them at Portman Road. Um, oh, it was amazing. I, I, the actual the actual um, ground at the time, the San Siro, just needed a bit updating, really. It was a little bit tired. Um, but we took, I think, 10, 12,000 fans. And it, it, they, it was the Ipswich fans, really, that generated the atmosphere. But it was the home game that stands out more, to be honest, the fact that we beat them at home. You know, Ipswich have never been beaten at home in Europe. Ever. One game, though, it Ever. is, it may. Well, no, so should they won the UEFA Cup, didn't no, they? going back late 70s, <laughs> early 80s. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's like 29, 30-odd games at home in Europe and, and never been beaten. It's it's uh, it's an amazing record, so I'm glad we were able to keep that going uh, by, by by beating Inter Milan. But, yeah, it was unbelievable. To, to you know, you, When you set out in football, you're setting out to try and test yourself against the very best. And you, and that's you get as high in the... Uh, as, the levels that you can possibly do and and obviously playing in Europe playing against those those top teams playing against the top players that's where you want to be and that's where you want to test yourself you know I'd like to have spent longer at the top than I, than I did but you know to, to have got to that moment and got to that point it's um you know it's, it's it's a big thing and that's what you set out to do when you when you start in your football career to try and get to the top levels and, and, and play against the top players and you mentioned that the pinnacles of, of players careers often involve major tournaments and you of course played at the, the World Cup in 2002 and scored. And to this day, uh, the only man on earth who's responsible for me spilling a pint of Guinness at half past eight in the morning in a pub in Dublin <laughs> um, because uh, the Irish government gave out special licence and laws because the, the the time zone, obviously. So we were in the pub watching that Cameroon game at 8am. I was in a pub in Finglas and you scored points everywhere, but uh, never so happy to be covered in alcohol at half eight in the morning, Matt. So thank you for that. What was your memories <laughs> no, of pleasure. that day and the goal itself? Uh, it's, I, I mean, it's some moment, to be honest. Um, you, you know, you dream of playing in a World Cup. You absolutely dream of it. To score is probably beyond your wildest dreams. You know, I I could never have envisaged what what happened, really, and and scoring in the game. It, we actually... Um, We'd been a bit disappointed in the first half and, and hadn't played particularly well. And and Mick's mantra going into that into that tournament was no fear. And he and when we walked into the dressing room before the game, there was there was sort of banners all around the dressing room. No fear, no fear, no no regrets. It was no no regrets. Um, and anyway, he came in at half time, and I remember Mick sort of saying, "That's all we're having at the moment is is regrets because we've you know we, we haven't really got going." We, obviously what had happened previous to the to the tournament maybe that was there was a slight hangover in that first half um but, what happened, but no regrets and all <laughs> what happened yeah, yeah. We, we, we'll pass over that quite quickly <laughs> yeah. we, can, we can move on from it's that. old ground um, now yeah <laughs> yes yeah, it's, it's very old ground yeah um but you know he said all we've got at the moment is regrets and we went out second half and we were a different team and we we pushed and pushed and um kev put a terrible cross in um that, which which was badly cleared, and it came to me. And actually, when I've when I've watched it back, I mean, I didn't see Robbie. I think Robbie was to my right hand side. Could have played Robbie in, but when it's when it's sort of come back to me, it's all in slow motion. Really, I can just picture the ball coming to me, thinking that's that's bouncing nicely. Um, it's it set up for a shot first time. I, it, it was something that I'd, I'd sort of practiced over the years by volleying balls at my mum's and breaking sort of <laughs> numerous photo frames and vases and all sorts. And it just volume was, was sort of one of my techniques really that I, I really enjoyed. And it just came to me perfectly. And you and, couldn't and have caught it sweeter. Je- 
well, I didn't need to. I didn't need to put too much power on it. Yeah. All I had to do was 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 get the contact because it, it was coming at me, and all I needed to do was get a good contact. And thankfully, that's exactly what happened. And then you know, for a moment, you lose yourself, don't you? And you think, where what you're doing? You've just scored in a World Cup, and sort of ran off. And I ran off to the <laughs> right hand side of the goal, ran behind the goal, and then re- remembered sort of where, where my family were and where they were sat. And they were in that sort of far in that corner. So that's when I was thinking I was trying to shrug Robbie off my shoulders and trying to wave. <laughs> to my, my dad was there. My mum, uh, my my uh, my wife was there. Two boys were there. Um, I think one of my boys was asleep. Uh, he thought <laughs> it had been an, it had been an early start, and so he got the train early. And I think he was asleep. My missus, she had a can of coke. She threw it over everyone, <laughs> and that went everywhere. But no one cared, and and I was able to see them at that moment as well. So it's you know it's nice nice to be able to share that moment with them as well. But it was yeah, it's it's what your dreams are made of. Oh, do you do you remember that game, Damien? Do, do, do you remember where you were even yeah. watching that game? And- I, I, I have a newfound interest in that World Cup in two thousand and two because I spend a lot of time with Gary Breen and Kenny oh, Cunningham yeah. at the moment. You know, yeah. but obviously as a fan on the outside looking in, for you. <laughs> <laughs> but like no, but, but, but I was doing a show with Breen a few uh, a while back, and like he said to me, he was going out to Cork for some wedding because that's where Breen's family are for from. And he said to me, um, can, "Oh, can can I get grab a lift down me after the show? You know, I got to go to I think it was Bandon or somewhere in Cork. He was going where the wedding was." And I said, "Yeah, absolutely." Well, I tell you what, like I chatted for three hours all the way down the road to Cork. Breen, you no, know, Breen, he's like he never shut up the yeah, whole yeah. way down. Like, but like it was just all about the two thousand and two and his personal situation and yeah. the whole free transfer thing. into Milan and, and I never there was stuff I never knew and then we were talking about the World Cup and obviously Kenny is Kenny like you listen to him you know going on and on and on as well so <laughs> yeah. like just getting an inside perspective from a point of view of like stuff that you wouldn't know and things that I wouldn't have thought of or you know things you forget because you only remember like Matty's goal and stuff you know the, the big things but like all the underlying stories that were yeah. going on into it and the issues they had obviously with the, the thing we're not allowed to speak about so <laughs> <laughs> I also I also remember from that game again Cameroon. I think Cameroon. When did the first team ever in the World Cup to wear sleeveless jerseys? Yeah, I think they had. They were a sort of strange jersey, weren't they? They 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 were they were sleeveless, but they had something that sort of slightly came over the top of them as well. I mean, I look ridiculous. I swapped I swapped shirts that game with with Mark Vivian Fowe, who, who sadly is is no longer with us. Um, and I just looked ridiculous wearing it after the match. <laughs> he sort of filled it quite nicely. He filled it quite nicely. I'm sort of trying to put his jersey. I'm thinking I, I made a big mistake with that, to be honest. Um, Matt, just touching on your, on your international career and, uh, um, you know, obviously one of the biggest characters, we, you know, 2002, let's, we, we glossed over it and rightly so, but Roy Keane obviously was, was, was at the, the heart of all that. Um, you said you agreed with some of the points that that that, that Roy made uh, regards Saipan, but also another thing that what, what Keane raised in his book was he had a go at you uh, about singing "God Save the Queen" at uh, at Wembley. How did you feel about that? And you know, have you have you have you ever had a chance to speak to him about that since then? Explain your your reasons or or what was that all about? Did, did you say we've run out of time and that we've got to go? Did you say that? <laughs> I'm sure that's. I'm sure that's what you just said. Yeah. I've, I've got to go. Have I? I've got an appointment. Um, the, the, connect, the connection's breaking up there, Matt. I can't quite. Yeah, it's definitely. Is Gary Breen or not? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kenny will talk about it because he never shuts up. Um, I, yeah. No, no. Look, I've got a lot of time for Roy. Um, I'm. I'm growing up. I was a Man United fan, um, and Roy's one of the best players that, that's ever played for Man United. He's, he, it was a, a privilege to, to share 
uh, pitch with him. He was a, a born winner, a, a leader of people, and um, uh, just a brilliant footballer. Uh, you know, he's not the most technically gifted footballer I've ever played with, um, but you add all these attributes together, and he was he was uh, immense. I mean, his his character, his willingness to take the ball in tight areas, to take the ball marked, um, to to put his stamp on a game, to, to drive the team forward. He was he was outstanding, and um, so I've got I've got a lot of respect and, and time for Roy. Uh, the, the the stuff at, at the playoff final, I was slightly embarrassed by. I, I, you know, can't hide the fact that I was I was born and raised in England. Yeah. Um. But my love, my love of playing for Ireland, it, it was was honestly, I can't tell you, second to none. I mean, it. it I, I still see, speak to lots of former teammates now, um. And so I'm slightly embarrassed by that. Um, but, but I don't I've think, as, as, as you said, Matt, I don't think any of us could ever question your uh, loyalty towards Ireland because every time Matt Holland pulled on an Irish jersey, it was never less than 100% given. I think we all saw that. I just thought it was an odd, uh, I just wanted to get your opinion on on, on that. Um, Matt, Matt, just want to bring you back to uh, your, your debut, uh, not for Ireland, but for uh, Charlton against Plymouth. And only discovered recently that you were colourblind. <laughs> you had an issue because Plymouth were wearing green jerseys. Can you tell us it's, a little bit more a, about it's that? A, it's a good excuse for giving the ball away, isn't it? Colour blindness. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, my first game for chance. So I, it's funny actually because because blindness, it, it, it's there's a lot of men suffer with it. It's one in twelve men are, are actually colour blind. So it's quite a lot of people. Um, I think it's one in two hundred women. They're the ones that carry the gene, and pass it on apparently. Um, but I, yeah, my I, my my debut for Charlton, we were on a pre-season tour to Plymouth. We were in red and they were in dark green, and I honestly couldn't tell the difference between the two shirts and so I was yes yeah, so five minutes into the game I'm thinking <laughs> I don't quite know what I'm going to do here and I sort of ran over to the touchline Alan Kirby she was in the stand but Mervyn Day was the number two and I ran over to Mervyn Day and uh, I said Merv I've got a problem here I said We're, I, I'm, I've got I'm colorblind and I can't tell the difference between the two two sets of kits and he just looked at me and went what the have we signed <laughs> And I, I and and uh, but there was literally nothing I could. He said, "You're just going to have to get on with it." I mean, it was a preseason game; it didn't really matter. But that's the only, that's the one and one only time that it's happened on a pitch that I've had a problem, right? In telling the difference, in telling the difference between the two kits, and it's never really been a major issue. Uh, a couple of times commentating, I've found it really difficult when when shirts have clashed. Um, but but generally, it's not been too bad, and they always were really careful in in, in colours of bibs in training and all that sort yeah. of stuff, just to make sure that I, I didn't have a problem. But yeah. There's a lot of men that suffer with it. One in twelve men, apparently. So and that explains all the blind balls you spin around the corner. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Into the space. Exactly. That's what I said. When I, yeah, when I give the ball away, I'll oh, say, do you well, think I you did love spinning the ball around the corner? <laughs> yeah. So you, you wouldn't be a great snooker player, Matt. No, I, I have to ask, and people stitch me up as well. I've played, and and, and the brown and the reds actually, it's the brown and the reds yeah. in, in snooker that, that look quite similar. So, and, and so I'm always asking, is that is that the colour? Is that red? <laughs> bloody nightmare brilliant listen Matt it's been an absolute pleasure having you on House of Football um, I know you, you you have to go off now and do more media stuff because you're a very busy media guy but Matt Holland thank you very much for joining us this week and we'll talk to you again very soon no it's been an absolute pleasure good to talk to you both cheers mate cheers Matt okay so that was Matt Holland uh uh, a, a brilliant Irish international and a man with a brilliant Premier League career, uh, Damien. Uh, we've got a couple of minutes left on the uh, on the podcast, and I want to talk to you about Champions League, um, the the Real Madrid, Manchester City, and mm. the Bernabeu, and then the Milan derby. Um, can Madrid 
not do the unthinkable, but I suppose, you know, everyone has seen Man City and Pep and Haaland as this unstoppable machine. Are Real Madrid, due to the pedigree they have, are they the one club that can stop them? Um, absolutely. We're at the semi-final stage of the Champions League. Every team is capable of, of, of beating them and the coaching and the level of coaching, the level of tactics they're going to be on show. Um the level of trying to limit the opposition's strong point and highlight weaknesses. You're going to really try and see that tonight. But I think when it comes down to it, I, I look at Manchester City and the way they've handled themselves this season. They've been in control of themselves. Yeah. You know, there's nothing too wild. I'm not sure, or I hope, Pep doesn't get too clever tonight and he tries to win the game so that the storyline afterwards is about him and his tactics and what he did. You know, he just needs to set his players up with a clear game plan and let them go and do it. Trust that his players are going to go and do it because they look in a good place and they have Erling Haaland, you know. So now he doesn't need to force the issue with a false nine and internal runs from wide players and, you know, dragging Real Madrid's players out. You know, the rest of the team can focus on being nice and solid. Gundogan's in a good place at the minute as well. Um, you've got Mares or Bernardo Silva on the right side. They have options. They have a nice game plan. Just trust that the implementation of that game plan is enough to beat Real Madrid as opposed to him trying to come up with something new and throw Real Madrid off their, 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 their kind of their kilter. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's City's year, I do. I just I just like the way they look. They're, they look imperious at the moment. They really do. I mean, even a lot of the games that in the Premier League, they look as if they're playing a second gear. They have a couple of gears to go through. But yeah, I suppose if there was any club that could put it up to them, it would be Real Madrid. Oh, listen, Luka Modric, Tony Cruz, you know, Rodrigo, Benzema, they could just show up tonight yeah. and just be like, yeah, Vinicius, sorry, would be just like incredible. And they have that in the locker. Yeah. You know, but I just think that in the last high when Bayern really threw that city, they never wobbled. They just, you know, might have covered up on the ropes and, and absorbed a couple of, of, of blows, but they caught the caught the punches and, and they were never really in trouble. Um, and then they just waited for their moment to punk. And I think I get that feeling with them at the moment. I think they'll be able to swallow anything that Real Madrid throw at them. Um, and then they've got weapons at the top end of the pitch yeah. for them to do damage. And I think that, you know, if it gets into a swinging match, I do think that City will hit an awful lot harder. Um, so that's how I feel, how I see it. But it's a Champions League semi-final, so anything is possible. Yeah, yeah. you don't get to the semi-final being a bad team, I suppose, you know. Um, Damien, if, if Manchester City do win this treble, mm. do you think it's a more impressive treble than the Manchester United treble of 99? Um, I, I, I'm not one for comparing. They're two different times, two different eras, two different teams who were set up to, to be a certain thing. What Manchester United achieved was, was outstanding. Um, Man City, if they achieve it, it'll be an incredible achievement. Um, but do you think that's probably the same as, as as trying to compare Ferguson with Pep? You know, they're from different eras; mm. they play different systems. Well, I mean, I think they overlapped a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. But Pep obviously had one of the greatest teams ever in 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 his Barcelona side. I do think, regardless of what he says or what anyone else says, the fact that he's not won a Champions League without Messi will 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 bother him, and has been bothering him. You know, and yeah. the fact that he went to Bayern and couldn't get it done. I know he's been at City. I think he's at six or seven years or something. He's at City now. Yeah. Good, good chunk of time, yeah. you know, and he spent it's as a long lot, a spell at any club, and he spent a lot of money, mm-hmm. you know, um, and he's finding it very, very difficult to get that Champions League. But I think just to, to rubber stamp his greatness, that sounds a bit harsh. He's obviously a great manager, yeah. But you know, to put him in the upper echelon, the real top, top, you know, Ancelotti, you know, winning multiple Mourinho, winning multiple Champions League with multiple different teams, multiple different ways. I think he needs it, you know. I think he really does, um, and. Uh, 
I'm not. I'm not going to go into comparing the the, the teams because it's it's too difficult. Yeah. And anything I say to you, you can throw five different comments back at me, and I have to go. Oh, yeah. Well, that's fair enough. You know, it's too hard to compare. You obviously think I do my research, Damien. Fair play. <laughs> no, but like you know, but if I say, if I say to you like, oh, those cities is more impressive because yeah. you know the times we live in, you know the money that's available, you know teams that can win it are are, are, are different. Yeah. Whereas it might, you could say the same about Manchester United in '99, but I, I, it's difficult. Both managers, both teams are brilliant, mm-hmm. and I hope. City win it but you think the, the winners of the, the tie between Real and City no, would want to win it the Milan derby who, who would you see I there I think AC would come through it really yeah yeah obviously Leo being fit um, is going to be uh, an interesting one he looks like a, an incredible footballer ah, listen, he? but he's there he's their their outlet he's their X factor their wildcat so to speak um, and I know he's touching goal whether he plays tomorrow night he went off um, after 10 minutes yeah. the weekend with what looked like a groin injury I think it was um, but they haven't ruled him out but I think he should be back for the second leg worst case scenario but I think if AC Milan come through it in a one-off tie that's why I'm confident with City over two legs over two legs 180 minutes I think they'll 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 work it out but in a one-off tie you go behind all of a sudden panic can set in you know and it can be difficult or if you go ahead do you sit back because if you go ahead all of a sudden the trophy's right there yeah you know and we, me and, you, and Matt were talking about playoffs and stuff like that you know hitting the front you know uh, in the cup final in 2016 we hit the front yeah you know and I remember thinking to myself like we're so close, we're so close. It's so close. Yeah. And there is a tendency just to snatch at it as opposed to just letting it play out. So you're always reminding yourself, and I think it would be the same for these guys in the Champions League final, that you know, if you go in front or if you go behind, it alters. Tonight, they'll always be the second leg. Mm-hmm. You know, So even if you go behind, okay, don't worry, we lose 1-0 tonight, we can always get it back to the Etihad. Back to the Etihad, right? Tonight, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Back to the Etihad, you know. Um, so, you know, there's that element of, okay, we, we're in control here. Um, so... Um, I don't know what was your question but in a, no, in a one-off game you, you yeah, give in, Milan in, a chance in, I think AC Milan I think yeah. are looking good I've I got, got a funny feeling about them yeah. they're tough at the back Tamori's doing really well yeah, at the minute Kier is. is doing good they've got a good um, a good midfield set up um, and, and then obviously Inter are, are, are a pretty good team too um, but I just think AC will come through it yeah Two old Premier League strikers in Jekko uh, uh, and Lukaku yeah, yeah. yeah. and then also uh, for AC Milan Mkhitaryan. well you got Giroud. Mkhitaryan I'm yeah, Mkhitaryan for, for, as well for, yeah. for India yeah. you got Darmian yeah. Yeah. you know what I mean you got, you three got, X-matches you got, you got, and, and Deco <laughs> yeah. thrown in the mix as well there's yeah. someone else as well who was doing the stuff last was night was it Giroud yeah. Giroud's with AC Milan Giroud's with AC yeah. I think Inter of someone else as well. yeah. Yeah, it's gone from my head but I think AC Milan got a good goalkeeper too in Onana oh yeah yeah. you know so I yeah. just think that like you know I, I just fancy AC Milan I think they just again they look composed they're poised um, and I think and they've pedigree as well and, they'll, they? and, I, and I think they'll deal with Inter you know I think they'll just just about deal with it um, the home advantage as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to be a weird one, isn't it? All right, then. Listen, that's all we have time for this week's House of Football. I'd like to thank my guests, Damien Delaney and, of course, Matt Holland. We'll be back again same time next week in more chat about football. But for now, download us, subscribe to us, tell your mates about us and do what you know is best. Thank you. You've been listening to House of Football, brought to you by Sports Joe and William Hill.